Section 25 of Volume 1 of Symbolism by Johann Adam Moeller. Translated by James Burton Robertson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Appreciation of the theoretic and practical grounds which the Protestants allege for their view of faith. Subheading 17. Appreciation of the theoretic grounds. But why now do the reformers so much insist on the distinction of two principles in one and the same faith, to one whereof is reserved the power of working justification, to the other that of evincing itself in charity, in good works, and in unfolding the fullness of all virtues? Luther and his friends conceived they had very weighty theoretical and practical reasons for this separation. The theoretical reasons will first engage our attention. It is very useful with Luther and his friends to boast of faith as the instrument embracing the mercy of God in Christ. It is not only the first and original, but also the only pure ordinance of God in man, unmixed and consequently untroubled with any human alloy. Whereas faith, when it manifests itself in love and in the whole course of feelings to which it should give rise, on the one hand, doth not appear itself, but rather, if we may so speak, as the fruit of itself, and on the other hand, penetrates and pervades the human and the sinful element, and consequently no longer exhibits its pristine purity. Now it is the exclusive act of God, according to them, which maketh men agreeable to him. It is consequently the instrumental faith only, not the faith working by charity, that justifieth before God, and therefore the distinction in question must be regarded as well-founded, nay, as absolutely necessary. The naive simplicity of these theoretical errors, which are entirely based on the doctrine of God's exclusive operation in the work of salvation, is too evident to need any special comment. Luther in one word wished to say, In us God believes, in us God confides in himself, and is everywhere he can rejoice only in his own works, so he rejoiceth solely in this, his exclusive act. Evident as this is, yet, on account of the importance of the matter, and for the sake of elucidating the notions respecting it, it behooves us not to pass over it with too much haste. The Lutherans describe the entire spiritual life of regenerated man as the act of God. Is it not therefore extremely singular and, according to their theoretical doctrines, utterly inconceivable, that they should not likewise say, God in Christ Jesus loveth in us, and should not attribute to the Creator as lively a joy in this his work as that whereby he believeth in us? If the one as well as the other be his work, if both have been obtained for us through the merits of Christ, what imaginable cause is there why God should look down graciously upon us, inasmuch as he excites within us faith in the Redeemer, but cannot love us inasmuch as he produces within us love for Christ? The doubt that in love something human, and therefore, as they say, something meager and insufficient, exists, the peculiar theory of the Protestants cannot allege. For what is weak and sinful in love? That is to say, what is not love itself, they will not denominate God's work, but only love itself. The exotic and impure elements in this love 
God could always separate, and, as to that which should be proved to be his own work, graciously accept, and even as graciously as anything else, which he hath ordained. A very peculiar reason which have induced the Lutherans to adopt this view, for although, as they conceive, faith is the exclusive work of God, yet it still frequently trembles, becomes now and then, even according to the symbolical books, for example, the Apology, extremely weak, is scarcely able at times to cling to the staff of divine providence, and forgets itself even as far as to doubt the existence of God. And, as regards Luther himself, he was often unable to put off the doubt whether he had conceived justifying faith in a very believing spirit, and dispelled awakening scruples not by the power of faith, but after a very human fashion, to wit, by resolving in such moments to inveigh instantaneously and energetically against the papacy, and in this way to set aside disgust by pleasure. Now this dismay, and this doubting in divine truths, and divine promises, are most assuredly no gracious work of God, but in both we recognize the human alloy, and, in the sense of the reformers, we must say, quote, In us God believes. It is man, on the contrary, who trembles and who doubts. In despite of this perturbation of the divine element within us, God doth not cease to look down graciously upon the seed he has sown in man, unquote. Why should the deity, then, on account of the human alloy intermingled with charity, be induced to cast no friendly eye upon it, and not graciously recognize that portion of it which is his own work? Love, then, is an effect of faith, and consequently not the first of the divine workings within us. For as it is only faith which, with God's aid, brings forth charity, and certainly not any unbelief engrafted on faith, Love must, in consequence, be as divine as faith, because it is the pure, though, as the Lutherans assert, the later production of a divine principle, for whatever would be defective in charity would be, as we remarked above, not charity itself, but only the effect of a deficiency in faith, or, to express ourselves more accurately, for deficiency, that is to say, the absence of being, can do nothing. A smaller degree of charity presupposes a small degree of faith, though the former, be it even subsequent in its origin, is as divine as the latter. A flame is not less fire than a spark, though the spark preceded the flame. It is the same with a little flame, though it were only the effect of a little spark, and both, in the same way, would be comprised in the notion of a little fire. Whithersoever we turn our inquiring glance, we can discover nothing which should have brought charity into such discredit that it were only by faith and not by love we can be acceptable to God. Holy writ is not the slightest degree chargeable with the evil repute into which love is fallen. Let us compare only John chapter 14 verses 21 and 23 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 3. If the Saviour saith in the former place, quote, He who loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him, unquote. So we may be allowed to put the question, What distinction can exist, quote, between receiving anyone into his grace, unquote, 
quote, assuring any one of his good will, unquote, declaring him just, and, quote, unquote, loving any one. It is also useful attentively to consider who it is, according to this passage, whom the Father and the Son love. Him, it saith, quote, who loveth Christ, unquote. Thus it would be faith, in so far as it loves, and is active in love, wherein consists the righteousness that availeth before God, and whereby we become well-pleasing unto him. To speak out plainly our own opinion, it appears to us that, in the Protestant mode of distinguishing between the instrumental faith and the faith working by charity, there has been always wanting a clearness of conception. This will be proved most evidently if we take the pains of inquiry, what is this faith considered in itself, and what, on the other hand, it ought to be, according to Protestants. This faith, as we should premise, being always understood in the Protestant sense of confidence in the Savior, as the forgiver of sins, the discussion which we have just concluded leads us to a certain result. Let us once more place ourselves in the Protestant point of view, which looks on charity as an effect or a fruit of faith. If charity stands really in this relation to faith, it is necessarily comprised in it, for otherwise it could not proceed from it. It would be, therefore, most certainly only another form of faith's existence, or faith in another shape, and would determine its essence in such a degree that it could not be conceived without it, and could only be, through it, what it is. It would, therefore, be no error to assert that love were the essence of faith, and so, in a higher, more developed, and more distinct manner, it would be the essence of the latter, because it is the latter which is manifested in it as the cause and its effect, the reason and its consequence, the root in the tree. Love would be faith, even in a more consummate form, because faith only, after a gradual growth, hath become love. Faith, in so far as it embraces Christ and the forgiveness of sins in him, is, consequently, love itself, although, as until more accurate definitions be given, we are willing, for argument's sake, to concede, it be at first only love in its infancy. Love is thus, without doubt, the organ which rests with confidence in Christ, and the efficacious faith is the instrumental one, only, as we said, in a more mature and a more confirmed shape. The truth of what has been stated, and consequently the due relation in which faith stands to charity, may, in various ways, be made evident. The first is as follows. To the abstract idea of God as a being infinitely just corresponds the sentiment of fear. If, on the other hand, God be conceived as the all-loving, merciful, and forgiving Father, this is most assuredly possible only by a kindred sentiment in our souls, corresponding to the divine love. That is to say, by a love germinating within us. It is awakening love only that can embrace the loving, hardening, compassionate God, and surrender itself up entirely to Him, as even the Redeemer saith, quote, He who loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him, unquote. Thus it would not be faith, confidence, 
which would be first in the order of time, and love in the next place. But faith would be an effect of love, which, after she had engendered faith as confidence, supported by her own self-begotten helpmate, would come forward more vigorously and efficaciously. This, at least, Holy Writ teaches very clearly. Compare Romans chapter 5, verse 5, with chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. The second mode, wherein what we have said may be made evident, is as follows. Confidence in the Redeemer, for this, we repeat it again, the Reformers denominate faith, necessarily presupposes a secret, hidden desire, a longing after him, for our whole being, having received the impulse from God, forces and urges us to apply to ourselves what is offered through the mediation of Christ, and our deepest necessities, whereof we have attained the consciousness through his Spirit, are satisfied only in him. But what is now this longing, this desire, other than love? Assuredly, this aspiring of our whole being towards Christ, this effort to repose in him, to be united with him, to find in him only our salvation, is naught else than love. It follows, then, that love, even according to this view of things, constitutes the foundation and internal condition of confidence. Nay, its very essence, for in every internal consequence, the essence is again manifested. It was only a very singular confusion of the manner wherein the gospel is announced to us with the interior living acceptance of the same in our own souls that could ever have given rise to a different opinion. The Redeemer doubtless announces himself to us from without, Justitia nostra extra nos, as him for the sake of whose merits the forgiveness of sins is offered to us with the view of restoring us to communion with God. But when we have once clearly apprehended and recognized this righteousness, which is without, then first awakes within us the feeling kindred to divinity. We find ourselves to be beings designed and created for God. We feel ourselves attracted toward Him. This is the first germ of love. We find, even in our sins, no further obstacle. We pass them by and move consoled onward toward God in Christ. This is confidence in the latter and by the progressive development of such feelings, we at last disengage ourselves from the world, and live entirely in God. Justitia intra nos, inherens infusa. Thus the recognition of the truths revealed in Christ, and especially of the forgiveness of sins in Him, this is faith in the ordinary Catholic sense, is undoubtedly the primary thing preceding all others, the groundwork and the root of justification, radiax et fundamentum, justificationis, so that, from this sort of faith, love emanates. But, if faith be taken in the sense confidence, fiducia, then it is far from the truth to assert that it is only followed by love, and still more, that separated from love, or conceived without it, it is capable of justifying. This confidence is itself only one phase in the history of love. Accordingly, our sins are not, in the first place, forgiven us, so that, in consequence of this consciousness, we love, but because we confidingly love and lovingly confide, 
they are forgiven. In our interior life, forgiveness of sins and sanctification are simultaneous, or, as St. Thomas Aquinas excellently expresses it, quote, the infusion of grace and the remission of sin, like the illumination of any space and the dispersion of darkness, are one and the same thing, unquote. But according to the Apology and the Formulary of Concord, it is faith exclusively alone, wherein the appropriation of the merits of Christ and justification consist, and consequently neither charity nor any other virtue, that is to say, no holy feelings on the part of men have any share in this work. Accordingly, faith or confidence in Christ, in so far as it justifies, is something quite distinct from every holy sentiment, especially charity, which is the one expressly named. Whether this doctrine can be in any way justified, whether it offer any sense whatever, the discussion which we have just been engaged may suffice to show. End of section 25